top MMA voices Ariel Hawani, Chuck Mindenhall, and Pizza Carroll are live on the Spotify Greenroom app for every major MMA card with the Ringer MMA show. Hear the guys react to weigh-ins in real time and find out what they think of the fights the moment the final card ends. Plus, when breaking MMA news happens, they'll be live to talk to you about it. And if you missed the Green Room show, you can hear it as a podcast anytime on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets, and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. This is Warren Sharp, joined as always by Ben Solak on the Wednesday preview show. And this is the best show of the week. We've got a lot to get through. And we got a lot of reactions too to get in from the Monday night game. We're going to talk about that momentarily. But Ben, before we jump into that, I've got to talk about the premier game of the week. I think there's no doubt about it. It is the late game. I love the way these games are lined up again this week. 7, 1 p.m.s, 4, 4 p.m.s. This is the last 4 p.m. of the day. The Buffalo Bills take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this game has takes on all sides of the ball here. I'm really looking forward to it. The Bills are off Mm -hmm. of a short week. But this Bills defense, Ben, has faced the following quarterbacks since their week seven bye. Mac Jones in a wind tunnel. Obviously, we just saw that. Trevor Simeon, who's a backup quarterback who is now benched for Taysom Hill. Carson Wentz in a rainy, windy game up in Buffalo. Mike White in making his third NFL start. A rookie in Trevor Lawrence and Tua. Now they got to go up against Tom Brady and the Bucs passing right. offense. Last year, this Bucks defense played the third easiest schedule of pass offenses. Last year, this Bills offense carried this defense. This year, the defense ranks number one, but has played the fourth easiest schedule of offenses. On the season, the Bills have played just two top 10 offenses. This is also the first real game playing without 
top cover corner, Tredavious White, because obviously last week's game doesn't count with Mac Jones throwing only three pass attempts. So what is your current take? Let's start on this side of the ball and not even talk about this matchup specifically. With this Bills defense, are they overrated based upon their schedule? What do you think about their defense in general and their ability to live up to expectations as being a top five defense? Yeah, I think on a a show a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how most power ratings had made it as if the Bills were playing like the Falcons on a weekly basis. For not like over the first nine, 10 weeks of the season, like they were just basically just playing the Falcons weekly. And that leads you to believe that in markets and in our estimation, they're overrated. I would have told you that the defense was less overrated than the offense. And I would have said that the defense is probably just a little bit overrated. Uh, We always, I personally, I should say, Always love a defense that's greater than the sum of its parts. I love a defense that, that shows uh, continuity and communication, right? And that's that's kind of how this defensive back seven works for, for the Bills. But that sort of a team always kind of reaches the question when you get to playoff time of like, well, do they have the stars to hang? Like, do they really have the talent to just beat playoff team after playoff team after playoff team? The one saving grace for Buffalo there was Tredavious White. He was the star talent, right? He is the single star on the Bills defense, and now he's absent. So before the White injury, I would have told you, yeah, they're a little bit overrated. Now after the White injury, I'm really worried. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, okay, this secondary can hang against the Patriots passing attack in, in bad weather. Little did we know just how bad the weather was going to be and just how much that was going to affect the passing game. Brady and the Bucks offense has been... Uh, the the best passing offense in the league down the stretch, just kind of abouts. Like they're, they're in that conversation. Uh, and the variety of guys that they have, bodies that they have, different dudes they can throw to has always been the case in Tampa Bay. Uh, makes it really scary for, for Buffalo because it's not like you, you no longer have White who you say, okay, we put White on Mike Evans. We'll just kind of try to live with everybody else. You need to figure out a Mike Evans solution, a Chris Godwin solution, a Gronk solution, and a Leonard Fournette solution, probably in that order. That really sucks, man. That's It's very hard to come up with all four of those solutions. So at this point, yeah, I think we can say the Bills' defense is not the juggernaut that it looked like in the season, the juggernaut that some box scores would have it as in the season. We shouldn't expect them to, to hold things down going in the backstretch. Yeah, and now they are going up against this Tampa Bay offense, as you mentioned, with all these diverse weapons. Tampa has admitted, Ben, that they need to play better offensively on the road. And it seemed like something that if they're talking about it publicly, you know, it's tough being talked about a lot behind the scenes. They just got done playing back to back road games and they did score 30 plus points in each of those games, but they have been playing better at home. They've played four of their last five games on the road, though, and they dropped two of those games. And so we have not seen this this Bucks offense really firing on all cylinders like they were doing at home. If you run through their schedule of home games, it's pretty astonishing how good this team has been playing at home. Mm-hmm. They obviously are 5-0. and They won 31-29 to against Dallas in week one. Mind the score in terms of the margin as well as how many points they're putting up. They won 48-25 to against Atlanta week two. 45 to 17 against Miami in week five. 38 to three against Chicago in week seven. And 30 to 10 against the Giants in week 11. They are averaging 38 points per game at home and only 26 on the road. 5 0, 4 1 ATS at home. So 5 0 straight up, 4 1 ATS, winning by almost 22 points per game at home. They're covering the spread itself by almost 11 points per game. Whereas on the road, 
They're not four and one ATS. They're two and five ATS. They're losing on average by 0.1 points per game. They're failing to cover the spread by six points per game. At home, Brady is killing it with the statistics. 20 to three touchdown to interception rate versus 16 to seven on the road. His yards per attempt to success rate are all up at home. His EPA per attempt is plus 0.16 as opposed to only plus 0.04 on the road. He's been substantially better on early downs as well. This really is a strength on strength matchup when the Bucs have the ball with the offensive lines here because their offensive line allows the lowest pressure rate in the NFL. The Bills lead the NFL in pressure rate defensively. If you get pressure on Tom Brady, you definitely are making a difference. You are lowering his yards per attempt by two full yards per attempt, which Mm -hmm. ranks 31st in the NFL. So in a nutshell, specifically the matchups, as well as let's touch on this pressure rate information. How do you envision Tampa's offense performing against the Bills' defense? How should Tom Brady look to attack them? And how successful do you think this Bucks offense is against this uh, uh, beaten up a little bit uh, Bills' defense? Yeah, I think they'll be quite successful. And I, and I, I when you talk about pressure rate, right, uh, I very much, this is again, again like a sum of the parts thing. It's very much where I've enjoyed how the Bills have gotten into their pressure packages. I love that they're using a deep rotation and try to keep guys fresh. I love that they've invested Gregory Rousseau, Carlos Basham, AJ Epinesa, three round one or two picks along the defensive line. Who's the star, right? Who, who's the dude? They wanted it to be Ed Oliver. He really, he hasn't been that. It once was Jerry Hughes. He's getting a little long in the tooth. It's not him anymore. This is a, a, uh, pressure by committee group. And accordingly, when you look at this Bills offensive line, which is extremely talented, but also has great continuity, has been healthy playing together for a long time, it's a, it is tough to think about how Buffalo wins this unless they just get the best game out of their guys and Tampa gets the worst game out of their guys. And that that's kind of what happened in the Washington game, right? Like Washington came out and just that defensive front had been playing poorly, had a really, really good game, and Ryan Jensen didn't have his best game, and Ali Marpet didn't have his best game, and lo and behold, you get enough pressure on Tom, you're able to win that game. So it's possible because offensive line play is just really hard and generally has some some valleys and peaks to it. But in the aggregate, you trust this Bucks offensive line more from a talent perspective, especially because the Bills don't have the continuity advantage over them. So the games and the, t- the twists and the stunts probably aren't going to play as well. And if you can't pressure Brady like you're bringing up, then you ask me how does Brady attack the defense? However he wants, man. Like that's <laughs> that's that's the thing with with how well Brady plays how strong his arm still is at his age, and how many weapons they have. They are the ultimate take-what-you-give-us offense right now in terms of how they run their passing game. Their their running game is, we're going to do what we want. But in their passing game, it's, all right, if you take away Evans and you got a safety over the top, we run Gronk down the pipe. And if you got blanket zone coverage, we're going to let Chris Godwin run on option routes. And if Leonard Fournette's free out of the backfield, we're going to throw it to him because all of this is going to work. All of it has worked. It has sustained us for games. So whatever you give us, you can't take away everything we do. Uh, So if you can't pressure Brady, and I'm not sure the Bills do, there's really no defensive back-end answer in terms of their talent with what the Bucs are throwing at you. Yeah, and you obviously pegged it perfectly. We talked about the weather on the Wednesday show last week. We'll get into the game in a minute. But um, this defensive line was unable to hold up against the run through the course of the game well enough. Uh, and the Patriots obviously won the game on the ground. Um, and so we're going to see a very balanced attack, I think, from the Patriots, like you said, being able to do what they want. They are one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the league. But when they run Fournette sometimes on these first-down runs, you know, maybe they're still able to have success there as well because uh, you can move some of these guys due to their uh, size issues up front, which is what the Patriots were able to do uh, some last week. So 
On the other side of the ball, Ben, you have the Bills finally getting to play in good weather conditions. I, I just, it's really remarkable. You design a team that's built to win games in the modern era of football. They're playing to the rules constructs. It's a pass-first team with a big-arm quarterback, but yet you're playing in Buffalo in these terrible conditions outdoors. And so you really need a different style of team to have success in those conditions, but that's not the way the Bills are built whatsoever. Um, you, you've got this team that can only win in optimal weather conditions. Um you're going to a domed Super Bowl, obviously, and so you're built to go and play well in those conditions, but in the conditions at home, you really haven't been built well, and that's why we've seen a few losses up there in Buffalo for this team. But now you get to go and play in Tampa, and the weather should be really good in Tampa for this game, looking ahead at early forecasts. What do you hate most about this Bills offense right now? And, and I know that's like a, a mean question for Bills fans to say, but it's, it's underwhelming. You've got the talent. We know that. Allen's not playing quite as well as he did in 2020, but you look at their losses and you see things on both sides of the ball that they could have been doing a little bit differently. What is the most frustrating element of the Bills' offense to you right now? Man, uh, probably it's the... Uh, hmm. I continue to be bothered by the, the, the build and the nature of the receiving core. That continues to get my goat just because I think that when you talk about building a team that can still win in the cold weather through the air, right, which Buffalo largely cited Allen's arm strength, being able to play in winter conditions in Buffalo as a plus when they drafted him. Like, this is a thing that matters to them at quarterback. At the receiver side, you really should have gotten some bigger dudes um, because you want guys who are contested catch winners in those contexts. You want guys who, we, you know, we call them inaccuracy erasers, right? You get a ball generally near them. They have a large enough catch radius to go make that grab. Think about prime Allen Robinson is a really good example. Alshon Jeffrey's another one of a guy who just get the ball generally in his area and let him do the rest of the work. Kenny Galladay was available in free agency, whatever. Uh, they built it for speed and they built it for quickness. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's, it's good. And I get it. But then you have this game where they seem timid to throw the ball down the field despite the fact that Allen's cut in the wind and it's insane that he is and the whole point of getting a guy with this arm is that he is and he's cut in the wind and they just still don't feel confident throwing an intermediate which is what the offense is built for and I, I if I had to guess why it's because they don't really have good catch radius guys like Diggs is, is a good catch radius guy because Diggs is good at everything but generally like it's not their their strength right like Knox didn't make the catches outside of his frame and through contact that he needed to to really get them that key play even Gabriel Davis on his touchdown like that ball nearly bounced off his stomach. It was thrown with so much heat, and he was just so not ready for it that he nearly lost it. If you have those guys who can kind of erase inaccuracy a little bit better, then you feel more okay throwing the ball through the wind and knowing the ball is going to move around a little bit, but you get a guy with big hands and a strong grip, and you think he's going to be able to make that catch. And I guess that that absence continues to be felt. It was felt again for me watching them try to throw the football. I'm not sure that's the biggest problem. Ideally, you, you can actually run the ball out of 11 and 12 personnel, but I understand why they can't do that. It's the fact that they added Sanders to Beasley and Diggs, and they have Knox, and it's really, they have all these same types of receivers that I think is causing them some problems in their passing game. So there's a lot that's frustrating right now in Buffalo. The lack of designed QB run is another big one. That should have been such a big deal against the Patriots, and it wasn't. So there's a lot going on, but the, the, the build of the receiver room continues to get my goat a little bit. Yeah, and I could tell you, you know, when I was looking at this receiver room a while ago, they, they previously, with Josh Allen's accuracy issues coming out of Wyoming, I think they did go after some of those 
big bodied guys. They had, you know, Kelvin Benjamin right. and they had some longer armed guys, but these guys could get no separation. And so every ball was like a contested catch. And so what they attempted to do was go after, okay, let's pivot. Let's go after the shorter, quicker guys like the Cole Beasley's who guys can just get open quickly. They're open right now and we can get him the ball so that Josh doesn't have to read the defense for as long. And and it did work, but in, in you know, they just aren't, throwing the ball as much as they have in the past. And we'll talk about some of our issues with that game. But um, in this specific matchup against the Bucs, you have Tampa with the NFL's highest blitz rate going up against Josh Allen. And the Bills got back Spencer Brown, right tackle, but they were still without John Feliciano, who I thought was going to be back at right guard. Obviously, he was not. And Rich Rebar had this nugget up at Sharp Football Analysis that uh, Josh Allen has played five games this year versus defenses that rank top 10 in blitz rate, which the Bucks do. In mm-hmm. those games, he was blitzed on 36% of his dropbacks. And when he was blitzed, he averaged only 5.4 yards per attempt, as opposed to in those games when he wasn't blitzed, 8.2 yards per attempt. His completion rate was only 59% when blitzed versus 68% when he wasn't, and his TD to interception rate, two touchdowns to one interception when he is blitzed, nine touchdowns to two interceptions when he's not blitzed. So he may encounter some problems here with the NFL's highest blitz rate uh, defense. How do you anticipate the Bills offensive line holding up here? And what do you anticipate this Bills passing attack being able to do in general? You mentioned the wide receivers. How are they sized to deal with these Bucks DBs? And how do you th- see the matchup going on this side of the football? That's really, that's very interesting that, that Allen's been that bad against the Blitz this year. I wouldn't have made that off of off of watching film. Uh, he, I know like in terms of like his, his yearly work, he's generally been not as good blitzed when he is. But I would have thought he was doing better with that this year. Just... I guess, but I guess that's a lot of that scrambling. Is he's been he's been really good scrambling on late downs, really good picking mm-hmm. up yards with his legs, which you're not going to catch in the patch in the, in the passing stats. That brings us back to our point, though. They just simply have to use Josh Allen more as a runner, right? And and the 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 size of him as a runner is greatly to their advantage, right? He is able to outrun linebackers and out big safeties and corners. Like that's a really really good trait for a runner to have, especially when you're kind of in the scramble drill and there's a lot of space around. And I completely understand and respect the idea that you don't want your quarterback taking unnecessary hits. But if you're Buffalo, you're kind of in a break glass in place of emergency thing here on the season, yeah. right? You got to start winning a game against a good team. And and, and to do that, you got to loosen the the grip you've got on some of your tenets and some of your philosophies, right? You have to be willing to become flexible. So scramble-wise, I think he's good against the blitz. Uh, Bowles is going to give you more than just third and five blitzes, though. And that's when Allen usually uses his legs, picks it up, and gets to a new series. He's going to give you first and 10 blitzes. He's going to give you second and two blitzes. Like, he doesn't care. Uh, in that instance... I think that, yeah, your Bills offensive line can perform better. I think they did perform better against the Patriots. I think they are getting healthier, and we obviously care about that. But in general, it's tough for Buffalo to keep extra guys in to pass protect. They don't have a really good back that that pass protects well, uh, and they don't really set their protections super, super well, super consistently. That's something that they struggle with. Feliciano being back is big for that because he sets their protection at guard, which is actually very odd for the league. Usually it's Mitch Morris at center, um, but the the Bills guard does. So Feliciano back helps, but they'll have busts, and they don't really have a great back and pass protection. So you're going to get a lot of blitzes, and that's going to get Allen out of the pocket. If he's throwing it, you won. If he's running it, you you probably didn't. It just remains to be seen how much the Bills are going to let him off the leash in that regard. Yeah, and we talked, I mean, we, we, we try to give you guys the scoop ahead of time. We talked about how the Bills had played a lot of bad defenses heading into the last few weeks, and now this was this ridiculous stretch. I mean, I went on a rant about it. This is one of those defenses, another top 10 defense that they're playing. Two of the last three top 10 defenses, Buffalo scored 
10 points and 15 points against these guys. So now you got a top 10 defense. So side total, Ben, the spread is three, three and a half in favor of the home team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Total sits at 52, 52 and a half. What do you think about this game side total? Took the under at 52 and a half uh, when it opened. Expected to drop uh, a little bit this week. It obviously hasn't, which has me freaked out a little bit. But what we know about uh, Buffalo is that they will come out sloppy in the first quarter. They will give up. Uh, uh, big plays. They will come out and then they haven't been a really great first half team this year, especially like even when you kind of filter for how bad some of the teams they faced have been. They haven't been a great first half team. Um, we know that when the Bucks get a lead, they will sit on it, right? They very, very quickly, arguably too quickly, become a, oh, let's run the clock team when they get into the second half with the lead. Uh, and so to me, if we're looking at something where it's like, 17 to 7, where it's 20 to, to 10 coming into the, 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 at some point in the third quarter. I think Tampa Bay already starts to slow that game down. Uh, and what we saw against New England will remain true, which is that you can kind of move the ball here on, on the buck, on the Bills' run defense, excuse me, a little bit. So when those, those time eating drives start, I think they can run a couple series and take some time. Uh, so 52 and a half is too rich of a number for me with how the Bills' offenses performed against good defenses and with how Tampa likes to slow the game down uh, when, when they get late in these games with these leads. I think that we could get a good amount of points early, but then when we get to the third and fourth quarter, I think the scoring kind of comes to a drip. Uh, and you're able to get under 52. I think sidewise, I lean bucks, but my stronger stronger takes on the toe. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay, speaking of a strong take, I'm going to limit this. We'll each take two minutes because we got a few more games we need to discuss. Um, two minutes, I will interrupt you before, <laughs> once that two minutes expires. Give me a rant on the game Monday night between the Patriots and the Bills. Talk to me about what the Patriots did there offensively and what your thoughts were. Uh, I like I love what the Patriots did because it's awesome in the 21st century that you can just sit down and go, we're going to throw the ball only three times. We're going to line up in I formation, multiple tight ends, fullback, 22 personnel. We're going to run G lead. We're going to run counter and power. We're just going to pull dudes and hit you, right? Like that, that crack toss, they scored the big Damian Harris touchdown on. That's just, we're going to test and see how well you fit. And if you make one mistake in the fit, bang, upfield and we are gone. Like that is traditional, cool, old school running the football. So I love that. And I think that it's awesome that the Patriots have built a team that can do that in this sort of weather. That's cool. What I don't love is the posthumous editing of why that game plan happened relative to the outcome of the actual game, the scoreboard. The Patriots won 14 to 10. I don't think anybody in the building in New England was happy with their total offensive output. I think they're happy with their game plan and, and the, the breaks they got from it. But I don't think anybody was like, woo, we scored 14 points. That was amazing. They're running the ball in third and 13, third and 14. This offensive nucleus, McDaniels, Belichick, did not want to see Mac Jones throw the football in the cold in the wind. They just didn't want to. They, they at no point, third and 16 in a one-score game, did they think it was a good idea. That's worrisome. That should matter. And I think a lot of people, Patriots, beat writers, Patriots fans, and national writers, don't want that to reflect on Mac Jones the way that it very clearly does. If Simply, they didn't want to see him throwing the ball in that context. That's worrisome because the next time they play that game, 
might be a different offense that gets a lead on them. And all of a sudden in the third quarter, they got to score points. And they we don't know what that Mac Jones passing game can look like yet. And that to me is scary. So I like what the Patriots digs. It was fun. But I do have some internal worry about how, man, the guys who are closest to Mac and know about his arm strength and his velocity and his grip strength, whatever, had no interest under any circumstances, as clear of a passing down as there is, to let him throw it. And that worries me as we get into the winter here down the stretch. Wow, you beat that by over five seconds. That was excellent. Um, I, I don't I don't disagree with you whatsoever there. My two-minute rant is this. I'll talk about the Bills offense. I'm not sure what we're doing here. As you mentioned, you've got this big-armed quarterback who could throw the ball and cut through the wind. We are sitting here on Wednesday recording the show, Ben, and I still cannot tell you that the Bills couldn't have passed the ball more because the ball was sailing all over the place when Josh Allen was throwing it. Oh my God, look at the wind. Take this ball and move it right. so far away. And so we just had to stick with the run. You could have had two approaches here. You come out, you try to run the ball. If that doesn't work, you go back to your bread and butter, which is the passing attack. Or you come out and you say, we're going to start passing the football here, which is what we do. And if that doesn't work, we're going to try to run the ball. They did neither of those. They came out, they tried to run the ball. The run game didn't work and they stuck with the run game. 19 running back carries for only 3.1 yards per carry. Josh Allen, forget his final statistics. Just like in my opinion, you should forget some of the efficiency numbers of what the Patriots rushing attack did. At the end of the day, that's generally irrelevant to me because of the way that the game was just being called on both sides offensively. Like you had a bunch of drops and you had a bunch of third and 10 passes from Josh Allen when Patriots were doing cover zero blitzes and sending everybody. And of course he was off of his mark trying to throw the football in some of those instances. Focus on the times at the beginning of that game where he was throwing the ball and he was throwing the slants and the in routes to Diggs or to Sanders or to Beasley. And these guys were, the ball was on them and they were able to catch it. Now, of course, Dawson Knox dropped a couple, but the ball was there and they were able to catch it. I still don't understand why they did not rely more on that strategy. And like you said, the run game of Josh Allen, I don't know what's going on there. I, I, I don't know what's going on in Buffalo, but something is different than last year. It, it, it appears to me like the team, maybe it's somebody telling the OC this or not. I don't know. They are not throwing the ball quite as much. They are running Josh Allen a little bit less. Um, they're trying to use the ground game and they're trying to be something that they're not really. And I think that that needs to change. And I don't know when it is going to change, but... It is, it's been an issue, um, and they need to resolve that as quickly as possible because these games are must-win games down the stretch, and you only got one shot. Um, okay, let's move on to, again, we've got two big non-conference games this week, and then we got a bunch of great divisional games. Some are the rematch, some are the first game. Let's talk about this 49ers at Bengals, Ben. Um, last week, the 49ers could not run the ball efficiently whatsoever. Elijah Mitchell to gain just mm -hmm. three yards per carry, 66 yards on 22 at carries. Jimmy G's averaging 10 yards per attempt. He on, almost throws for 300 yards on 20 completions. Now, he does throw a couple of interceptions, but they were pushing the ball down the field. Early downs, first three quarters, his ADOT, Ben, was 9.7 yards. His ADOT on these early down passes, that was third longest in the NFL last week. Obviously, he didn't have a perfect day, but it made sense they would try to throw the ball, right? Because the Seahawks run defense is number 10 and the Seahawks pass defense is number 26. So you're going to have better efficiency passing the ball. But yet Shanahan goes 58% run on early downs in the first three quarters. Now you go up against the Bengals who have the NFL's number 11 ranked run defense. They got a good run defense in general themselves. Worse against the pass. 
On the season, the 49ers have played six top 15 run defenses. They are one and five in those games, losing to Mm -hmm. Seattle, Arizona, Indy, Arizona again, Seattle again, and the lone win was against the Rams. Elijah Mitchell's now in concussion protocol. We don't know what he's going to be. Debo Samuel missed last week with a groin injury that, by the way, he suffered on a run play. They're going to probably hope that he's up. I don't know. Shanahan says he's, quote unquote, hopeful that he plays Sunday. We'll have to see. I still don't love the fact that you're giving this guy all these rushing attempts because what position is the most injured in the NFL? It's a running back. Why? Because they're busting through offensive linemen and defensive linemen falling at their feet and a lot of different shit can happen in that confined space. Whereas in the passing game, you throw the ball at the perimeter, you get these guys in matchups against lighter players. So I don't know why you're going to try to run Debo a shitload, but it feels Mm -hmm. like Shanahan, if Debo's healthy, they would just use him more as a running back. I mean, he's had what, 16 touches on the ball the last couple of weeks he was healthy and 14 of the 16 have been runs. I don't, I don't love that. I don't know what your take is on that, but I'll give it to you in a second to share. But last week, the Bengals limited the Chargers to 4.2 yards per carry, only 42% success on the ground. They are weaker against the pass. We saw Justin Herbert obviously carve them up, 9.1 yards per attempt, over 300 yards passing. Some of those were deep shots on first down. We know that, we we love that, but we're not talking about that game. We, we love that, but we don't think that Jimmy G is going to throw the ball like that, but he did mm-hmm. average almost 10 yards per attempt on early downs last week. Um, do you think Shanahan puts the ball in Jimmy G's hands and throws in this game instead of relying on the run game? How do you anticipate this 49ers offense attacking the Bengals defense and does it see any success? Uh, yeah, I think Shanahan lets him throw. I don't think Shanahan wants to. I don't think Shanahan will <laughs> like it. I don't think he'll feel good while it's happening. Uh, I watched the Shanahan postgame presser uh, uh, after that Seahawks game just because that game was such an absolute just bowl of chaos. And uh, he was asked about Jimmy's interceptions. And he he was like, yeah, so the first one, you know, uh, like we went the wrong way in play action. You know, the linebacker made a good play. Second one, you know, check downs right there. He's trying to force into triple coverage. And then he just kind of like clicks his tongue and goes, he's got to be better. You know what I mean? It's at this point, like Shanahan's expectations for Jimmy are like, stop, stop doing this. Be better than this. Like it's, it's, it's no like develop the young guy, change the system. It's like, dude, we we're we're already giving you the only thing you can do. And you're still making backbreaking mistakes. Like you, you, we, we just need you to be better. Uh, The more you lose that running game and the more you got to trust Jimmy to move the ball, and the more worrisome that becomes because what we know about Jimmy is it doesn't matter how good it's looking. doesn't matter how good it has looked, right? He was like leading the league in EPA per play. The the knucklehead mistake is coming, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, there's no avoiding it. It is inevitable. does not matter how well he's playing beforehand. That is really scary, especially against a Bengals team that's really good at giving you different looks, changing things up. They got a good linebacking core, got a nice safety duo. Uh, they're able to clog up that middle of the field and they're able to do it in a variety of ways. And Jimmy just, Jimmy's so faithful to the pre-snap picture he gets to the defense that against a defense like the Bengals, which is nice at, at disguising stuff up, it just does not project well uh, for, for Jimmy avoiding that backbreaking mistake. Uh, the Debo thing also freaks me out because Debo's had some soft tissue issues. Uh, groin is one of them. He absolutely, uh, you know, when they were using him like a running back, that was, you know, playing with fire a little bit with with his yep. issues. Like you brought up, like this is the position that's going to get hurt. Uh, and, and Debo's gotten hurt just being a regular wide receiver, so you're already kind of playing your luck here a little bit. I understand why they did it. I understand why it was necessary to the team, but it just really sucked that 
it, they, they, they lost that right before the Seahawks games. I think with Debo, they probably keep the running game alive and beat the Seahawks. If they still feel like a playoff team, which at 6-6 six and six in this NFC, they are, there's a good chance they rush Debo back at 75-80%. And then you run the risk of a really bad injury for Debo, which would suck. He's been so good. Uh, I wish they'd be able to keep him tabled for another week, but with the Mitchell injury, I'm not sure they do. Debo plus Kittle on the field means you can do a lot of really creative stuff offensively and still move the ball. It's just they're going to not have their traditional running game, which is the bread and butter, and then they're going to be leaving the ball in Jimmy's hands way more than they want to. Uh, Would not be surprised if Trey Lance is available if we see Trey Lance packages in this game to help the running game out a lot. Don't think it'll be enough. I think the Bengals are just too well coached. But in general, yeah, you got to really hand this thing over to Jimmy and hope you get Debo back and you can pass the ball well enough to replace that running game that you were relying on the last couple weeks. So switching to the other side of the ball here, Jamar Chase caught 10 of 17 targets on throws 15 plus yards down the field weeks one to seven and scored four touchdowns on those. Since then, Chase has caught just one of nine targets for 16 yards on these passes 15 plus yards down the field. The connection between he and Joe Burrow obviously is not working out, but I want to keep rolling and I'll come back to that Mm -hmm. question for you in a minute. The Bengals offense hasn't played very many good defenses this year. In fact, they have played the NFL's easiest schedule of opposing defenses. They've played just one defense that even ranks above average all year long, and that was the number 14 Packers defense. The 49ers have the number nine defense in the NFL this year. They will be the toughest defense the Bengals offense will have faced. Joe Burrow, he's got this busted up pinky finger. His hand swelled up. He got half the half the hand looked completely swollen like a balloon by the end of that last game. Um, but he was averaging an ADOT of 8.3 yards on early down completions, which was the second highest in the NFL last week. The NFL average, by the way, is only 4.8. He was up at 8.3. So they were still pushing the ball down the field. Obviously, they were losing, so they had to. Um, but after struggling immensely last game, Joe Mixon now has to go up against the number three run defense of the 49ers. And, you know, they just played the number 32 run defense of the Chargers. He got just 3.3 yards per carry, 33% success on 18 runs. So, you know, previously I talked about how the Bengals had shifted from a passing offense to a running offense, and that was appropriate, and they should have a little bit of success against this bad Chargers run defense. Now you're in a dilemma, I think, for Zach Taylor, because You want to run the football because your quarterback's hand is busted up a little bit. I don't know what his status is going to be, how good he's going to feel and that type of thing. You want to run the ball, but now you're going up against the number three run defense. So it's probably not the best strategy to run the ball, especially when you didn't have success running the ball against the worst run defense last week. What do you think Taylor does to attack Mm -hmm. this defense of the San Francisco 49ers. How do you think that plays out? We mentioned some of the downfield stuff with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow not being on the same page. How do the Bengals do when they have the ball? Uh, Right, so Chase and Burrow. Uh, As a man still desperately clinging onto his Jamar Chase under receiving yards ticket, which has looked absolutely terrifying, but there's a glimmer of hope still. (laughs) Uh, It was, while it was happening, we were talking about how this just doesn't feel sustainable, right? Like, Jace was catching downfield targets at an absurd rate for, like, a veteran receiver. This is a rookie, and it's also not, like, a 6'3", 230-pound rookie. This is, like, a 6'1", 205 rookie. They just did not feel sustainable. Deep targets are generally very up and down. Very rare that a, a receiver is just as good catching deep targets every year as he was. Also, uh, when you have a guy like T. Higgins on the other side, you're not running Chase deep because... 
Boyd is intermediate and Higgins is shallow. You're running chase deep because he's good at it. And you're running in Higgins deep because he's good at it. And you're telling defenses, you're going to have to one-on-one cover one of them, right? You're seeing safety shade to chase. Like they're doing that because chase has been the problem over the last month. Now all of a sudden T Higgins gets his one-on-one and now Higgins is able to make some of his contested catches and the Bengals have generated a downfield passing attack despite the fact that they don't have the strongest arm quarterback in Burrow. It's in general very impressive, but it invites uh, uh, variance on the individual level. So fantasy owners hate it. Right. Who's going to be good, Chase or Higgins? But for me, I don't care because one of them is going to be single covered. Right. And and, and I'm confident that I have that because I have two downfield threats that I believe in. So I'm not worried about the chase thing at all. Like the drops obviously continue to be a a problem, but he's shown enough explosive playability that you're going to live with the drops. If this is what he is every year, you're quite happy with what you drafted there at uh, number five overall. Offense in general, I don't want to overreact too much to how the running game performed. Because the Chargers' run defense has actually been playing better and better as the years gone on. We kind of talk about this Brandon Staley defense taking a moment to onboard and engage and kind of all mesh together. Uh, that run defense has been improving. They got Limbo Joseph back. So it is a really bad run defense in, in Los Angeles from a year perspective. But in terms of recently, I'm, I didn't expect that good of a performance, but I can understand where it came from. San Francisco the same team is going to try to fit you from quarters. I think they've been like a middling run defense so far this year. I think you continue to see your under center game. You continue to see that running game and the work on Joe Mixon on these outside zone runs kind of be where they rely on. The other thing is that Emmanuel Mosley got hurt along with Elijah Mitchell in that Seahawks 49ers game. The, the Niners have no cornerbacks, none. Fifth-round rookie, Diamador Lenore. A- Avery Thomas, the third-round rookie. Uh, Josh Norman. That's who's starting right now on the outside. Uh, so you get to do exactly what you've wanted to do if you're Cincinnati. Uh, run. Quick game. Empty. Pick our matchup. Go. Right? You don't have to be living on play action right now. You don't have to be living on deep shots. If you want to become the, the Bengals offense of 2020 and end of early 2021, where it's just empty, pick your slant, empty, pick your slant, you can because you expect all three of your receivers to beat all three of their corners. It's an extremely big deal. Uh, so to me, Cincinnati's in, in, in a good bounce back spot. I think the Chargers are a lot better than we think. And so the markets are underappreciating Cincy right now. Minus one against the Niners feels really good to me. Okay, so you like minus one against the Niners for the Cincy Bengals. Uh, total sits at 48 and a half, 49. I see popping at one spot. Any take on that? Feels feels correct, especially feels correct because we really just don't know where the Niners offense is going to be right now. Uh, the, yep. the the lack of Debo news plus the, the questions in the backfield make me not want to really touch anything on total right now because while I think the Bengals can beat the Niners, uh, I'm not sure just how many points the Niners can be able to put on the board when they're running the ball, uh, which they'll probably still do early in the game. So total right now, I probably don't want to touch just because the inavailabilities. Still feel confident enough in that Bengals offense against the Niners defense that I'm willing to take the side. So now we're back to Russ. I want to get you a quick take on Russell Wilson. Davis Mills is the quarterback he's going to go up against this week. Obviously, we saw Tyrod get injured in last week's game. Uh, 60-second Russ take and thoughts on this game against the Texans right now. The Seahawks are favored by 7.5 on the road, must-win game. The the total sits at 41.5. All right, my take on Russ. Firstly, he's going to be the next quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to drive me nuts. (laughs) Secondly, think, right, you— he he was very proud of his historic uh, recovery from mallet finger, but it was very clear. 20 hours was, a day, baby. Yeah, let's just out here rehabbing a thing. I still don't understand how that works. But anyway. <laughs> he just moved it. Anytime yeah, he moved it, that was a rehab. Talking just finger going back and forth. Uh, now you get a, a better play, more accurate play, just better quarterbacking down the stretch. Yeah, it just simply feels like he he probably got healthier, right? Like the, probably the finger wasn't 100% back. This shouldn't be like a novel thing, but it kind of is because of how 
Russ positioned his whole recovery and yada yada whatever. Uh, with that said, it's not like they went out there with against the the Niners and like ran the offense like it was 100% back, right? It was a lot more shallow targets than we're used to. It was a lot more quick game than we're used to. They didn't push the ball downfield nearly as much or with the same degree of success as when they did. Uh, and they still made their crippling Seattle mistakes that against other more organized teams would have spelled a full Seahawking, right? A very classic Seattle giving away of a game uh, against a team they should beat. So it's nice to get a win. Uh, it's nice to continue to be able to say you have that playoff chance. They're 4-8. and eight. They win out, they go nine and eight, uh, and they have a shot at the playoffs. But also, like, Jamal Adams is out, and he's been important to that defense. They got to refigure that whole thing out. Uh, they still continue to struggle rushing the pass. Like, this is the first life we've seen from Carlos Dunlap all season. They're not a very trustworthy team. So, okay, seven and a half against Houston. Yeah, probably. Sure. I don't think Houston can cover DK and, and lock it. I think it's going to be a good lock it game because of the zone structure. But I, I don't want to get. I don't want to put the cart before the horse in terms of like Seattle being there. I think Russ is healthier. And I think that is a rising tide that lifts the whole boat on offense. But all the problems that existed pre-Russ injury, post-Russ injury, Geno era offense, like they still, it's, it's week 14. They don't know how to be what they want to be in the passing game. So they're a difficult team to tr- trust down the stretch accordingly. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, so speaking of putting the horses in front of the cart, let's talk about this Cowboys versus Washington matchup here. Washington has not lost since their bye week. They've beat the Bucks, Panthers, Seahawks, and Raiders in consecutive weeks. The Cowboys are just two and three in their last five games, barely edged out a terrible Saints team last Thursday. This historically has been a series Dallas completely owned. Seven wins, one loss in the prior eight year, the prior uh, four years before playing without Dak. In both games last year, they'd lost both of those. Um, I want to talk Cowboys offense briefly with you. Dak has passed for less than six yards per attempt in three of his last five games. They got their line back. 
They got Amari back even on a limited snap count. And they still aren't looking quite as good as they did early in the year. Washington, they're number eight versus the run, number 30 versus the pass. It's a pass funnel defense. You want to try to pass the football against these guys. So one of the reasons why, you know, teams that like to run, like the Seahawks and Panthers over the last couple of games that the Washington football team has played, you know, didn't have quite as good success. And then you got a team like the Raiders who didn't have good passing weapons or receiving weapons. You know, they also didn't look quite as good because that's how you should be attacking this Washington defense. The Cowboys don't fit into the categories of the Seahawks or the Panthers or the Raiders. They have a good quarterback and they've got a lot of receiving threats. What has disappointed you about this Cowboys offense? And more importantly, focusing on this matchup, how do you think they match up with Washington on Sunday? I am, I am not worried about the Cowboys offense at all, which maybe is dumb. Uh, we've gotten two of the, the worst Dak games of the year over the last couple of weeks. Uh they made the switch at left guard, uh, Connor Williams to, Ken- to uh, uh, Connor Williams to Connor McGovern. I always think one of them's not named Connor. They're both named Connor. Uh, <laughs> that I don't think has worked as they hoped. I don't know if they continue trying to ride it or if they if they switch back. But that's kind of uh, working the offensive line play a little bit. They've obviously been dealing with like different injuries at different times. They got Gallup back, and then they lost Cooper, and they lost Smith, and then they had to move Collins off to the other side and move Steele over. Like there's just been like a little bit of upheaval there. But in general, when you watch, you're like, all right, there are little mistakes in execution in key moments, right? There's just little leverage stuff. Like, even like they got like blown out by the Broncos. You watch the game, and you're like, all right, well, three balls go a different way. And this is like a 24 to 14 win for the Cowboys, just in terms of like being able to sustain drives and put up points and, and what, what have you. Uh, it feels like little execution mistakes for a team that generally, like, if this were a young team, I'd be like, oh no, because you kind of expect that. This is a pretty veteran team. So I feel more okay with that, that that being something that just goes away. That's something that's regression that gets cleaned up in the building on a Wednesday, whatever. So in general, I'm still confident in the Cowboys' offense. I still believe in their ability to, to be a variety of things. The one thing that really freaks me out is this team's obsession with Zeke. And generally, you nerds get too far with the whole, like, don't run Zeke thing, because Zeke's very good. <laughs> Uh-oh, and get, here we go. Yeah, and get too far with the whole, like, Zeke over Pollard thing, because they do different things. But very clearly right now, Zeke is like, what, 65%, 70%? Like, he's not healthy. Lay no. him up. You can. You have a really, really, really good backup, and you have a great passing game. Lay him up. And, and, and make sure he's healthy for the playoffs, because it's frustrating that they continue to tote him out. And... Even when Zeke's fully healthy, there's an, a good argument to be made that they run him in the wrong context and they kind of waste it down in doing so. When he's not healthy, it's exacerbated. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'd really like for them to, to put Zeke on the shelf and let him get back to 100%. I feel like that would remove the temptation to kind of run him to get his momentum going and give you a little bit of a of just positive boost, in, in, uh, addition by subtraction, if you will. Not because Zeke's bad, just because he's banged up right now. So speaking of running backs now on the other side of the ball, you got Antonio Gibson. He has been getting healthier and the ground game has obviously looked more efficient. They've been doing just enough to win these games offensively on this winning streak. Since week nine, Washington is averaging over four minutes per possession per drive, which is the most of any team in the league. So they're keeping the ball, the clock is running, and they're barely getting down there, but they're executing when they do. Washington has converted 50% of third down since week nine. They're by in week nine, which is second best in the league. They had converted only 34.7% prior to that, which was sixth worst in the league. Dallas, though, ranks number two defensively on third downs. How do you see Washington attacking this Cowboys defense? Do you think that they are able to pull out an upset 
eke out a close win at home right now. They are catching three and a half to four points at home, and this total sits at 48. Yeah, uh, I'd love to see it. I And in successive weeks now, I've not believed you're getting there. That's not true, actually. I had him against the Raiders. Against the Seahawks, I didn't think we were going to get there. Against the Panthers, I didn't think we were going to get there. Uh, and they did. And you use the correct terminology. They've been eking them out, right? They, they're, they're, they won the last four. Three of those four were really close to going a different way, man. You got, you got, you know, uh, a two-point attempt for Seattle. You've got Carolina on a game-winning drive, a potential game-winning drive when they lose Christian McCaffrey live during the game. And then obviously you have against the Raiders, uh, being able to get that ball back, hit that game-winning field goal, Raiders get the ball back, what have you. Uh, so I'd love to believe it, but this is the sort of thing, like I say with the Cowboys offense, I'm, I think we're going to get positive regression. I think that I, I'm not too worried about this. This is the sort of thing where you look at, at Washington as a younger team, a little bit more of a ragtag offense, and go, this is a house of cards. This is something that I don't, I don't think gets sustained. Taylor Heineke has been impressive this year. He's gotten better as a quarterback this year. I think Washington should feel decent if they have to take him into 2021 as their starter, or 2022, excuse me, as their starter. But this, his best trait is he's just got a lot of clutchness to him. And that's the sort of thing that I'll believe in it when I see it for like eight years straight. But right now, it's a very tough thing to rely upon. In general, they'll be able to get their shots. They'll be able to move the ball a little bit. Uh, J.D. McKissick potentially coming back would be great, but I'm not sure they get him. Uh, it, it's just not a powerful enough of an offense on, on every down, in every context, no matter the time on the clock, to really trust going up against a team like Dallas. I think they'll get theirs because the Dallas defense is susceptible. But unless they're dominating on defense, and Montez Sweat uh, was just announced uh, COVID-19 COVID. list. He's out for this game. Uh, unless they really, really get theirs on defense, I think Dallas just outguns them. Uh, and so don't love ba- uh, betting against the fighting Heineke's because they've been really, really just, you know, <laughs> uh, gritty these last few weeks. But in general, Dallas is better than four points better than Washington. And it, I want to take them for that reason. Okay, so you like Cowboys here. If you had to, uh, why the total at 48, you like the over, you like the under, or nothing? Uh I think uh, if I'm anywhere, I'm the under, just because I think we could really get a stinker from Washington offensively. I think the Dallas defense is a little bit better than it's looked the last few weeks, but I probably am not taking this one as well. Uh, The thing that really worries me about the total here, especially we're playing on FedEx field, uh, is you can get a lot of like weird injuries in game on FedEx field. You can can lose footing. You can like, you know, FedEx field. Yeah, it'll affect your, it'll affect more plays than you think a field might. And that kind of, ends up being a, a, a deciding factor on point totals a little bit less than it decides on, on the actual spread because it affects both sides evenly. So that freaks me out a little bit. And then also this Washington defense is good. I don't think they're stop Dallas good, but maybe they are. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. And so I, I could see this going under. I'm Again, I'm stronger side than I am total here. Okay, so another huge game in the division that's going to set up for playoff seeding as well is Baltimore at Cleveland. Since week nine, the Browns are converting just 21% of their third downs into first downs. The Cleveland Browns have scored 17 or fewer points in six of their last seven games. I'm not going to rattle off the scores. Just trust me, it has not been pretty. The Baltimore Ravens have scored less than 20 points in four straight games now. What the hell is going on with these offenses? First, let's start with the Cleveland Browns, Ben. Mm -hmm. You have a Ravens defense that's extremely injured right now, so much to the point that they are adjusting their offensive strategies in late-game situations because they don't trust their defense, particularly their secondary. Baltimore is allowing a completion of 20-plus yards on a league-high 
21% of their completed passes, while 17.5% of the completions for Mayfield have gone for 20-plus yards, which ranks 10th amongst quarterbacks. But you don't really trust Mayfield that much. Cleveland likes to run. That's the Ravens' strength is the run defense. They just held Nick Chubb in this last meeting to only 16 yards on eight rushing attempts. The Browns have had an entire week to think about the game, evaluate, self-scout, and prepare because they played Baltimore, they had a bye, now they play Baltimore again. How do you think Cleveland attacks them here, and are they successful when Cleveland is on offense? Yeah, the the Cleveland offense, man. Uh, I, you had the stat in there, I think, what, they've converted 20% of their third downs it's been since week nine? Yes. Uh, it was so good situationally, right? It was just... Like, Kevin Stefanski was always just able to get in the right screen call at the right time. They were always able to find a, a run concept that worked. Oh, a pin pull, counter, outside zone, whatever it is for this game, and then just hammer it. They just had these, they would find these situational edges, and they've lost that this year. And I think Kevin Stefanski is a good coach and a good play caller. But I think this is the first time that he's kind of like on a boat without a compass here a little bit, and he just doesn't know what buttons to push. And that's okay. Young coach, young, inexperienced play caller, figuring it out. Still think he's a very, very good coach. But I don't think they know the buttons to push right now. And like, no Odell. That kind of changes how you get into your personnel. No David and Joku for this game as well. That really affects your 13 personnel stuff, which is really their, their foundation, right? It's, it's what they do more than any other team in terms of how much they run 13 personnel. So they're, they're, they're a little bit listless right now. And I think if you say, all right, let's go back to basics. We're just going to run the football a lot. It sounds great, but in general, you're playing for explosives. You're looking for the, the Ravens to bust because they do that, and that's fine. But the Ravens also get their TFLs, right? We saw that in the earlier game against the Browns. You also then are looking at the most injured secondary in the league, more than the Bucks, more than the Niners, the Ravens, and saying, yeah, we don't want to take advantage of these matchups. Like, that's nuts. You, you have to be able with your starting quarterback and your starting receiver to throw against Anthony Averett. Like you got, you, that, that is a must-have in the league. And if I'm in Cleveland, I look at that on offense, I go, I'm not sure Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, and Donovan Peoples-Jones win against the secondary. That's terrifying, man. Like That's how you know your passing game is down real bad. So I think you see a run-heavy script. And I think you see they try to generate explosives with, 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 with heavy gapped-out runs from Chubb and Hunt, and then their screen game as well. But... It would be really freaking nice if they could just get like a good, heavy, like eight catches, 80 yards, one touchdown, Jarvis Landry. We just think he can win. We have that to us. If they can't, they're in a really, really bad spot passing game-wise. And I'm worried that's what we see. Uh, and so I expect a run-heavy script. I expect some success. But the main thing for me is if I'm just like checking in on Cleveland long-term, they got to be able to win on the outside. If they don't, then their outside passing game is nowhere and needs a substantial rehaul. Right. And speaking of needing to do some things differently, this Lamar Jackson passing attack is averaging only six yards per attempt, six touchdowns to eight interceptions over the last four games. Last week was the first game all year. Maybe it was because they were going up against their nemesis, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that the Ravens had Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, Rashad Baton, Sammy Watkins, and Devonta Freeman, who can catch balls out of the backfield up. All these guys were up, ready to roll. First game all year didn't really seem to help all that much. Um... Baltimore scored a touchdown on only five of 45 possessions in that span of games. And that ranks 30th in the league at 11%. What are your expectations for the Ravens offense in this rematch, given the fact that they only scored 16 points in the victory two weeks ago, and now you're coming back to them again playing the Cleveland Browns? Expectations are such that uh, the Ravens are definitely a better offense than they've been the last few weeks. But 
I do think that like I was big on the Lamar MVP hype train uh, a few weeks ago just because this offense was so injured. There were so many issues, offensive line, receiving core, running backs. And yet still they were keeping the boat afloat because Lamar just has so much talent. And now you've seen what it looks like when Lamar just doesn't play as well, right? Like there's no saving grace to this team that is not Lamar Jackson's plays. And and now that we've seen that for a couple of weeks, I think you you continue to believe this offense is better than it was, but it's it's somewhere in the middle, right? And, and it comes down to just how good of a Lamar are you getting. The problem is that right now, teams have a way to neutralize Lamar. It's not like the solution that every NFL defense thinks they'll eventually find. It's not that. It's because of how many injuries they've got. But if you just can zero blitz, right? Talking about what Miami did, what Pittsburgh did situationally. If you can zero blitz, you get one body flying at Lamar right away. You're telling him he can't process from the pocket. He has to go scramble drill. You're going to take away timing stuff. And they also, they can't really run the ball into that either because they don't have good enough running backs. So they've tried to run speed option stuff into it and it just doesn't work. Uh, the fact that Greg Roman doesn't have that answer right now is maddening and frankly embarrassing for a guy who calls himself an, an NFL offensive coordinator. I don't like to you know, say stuff like that with my chest, but it is. Uh, if they come out with an answer, great. If not, Cleveland's are gonna Cleveland's gonna get their situational stops. Cleveland's gonna get their turnovers. I don't think you're gonna get four interceptions again, but you're gonna get your turnovers because they showed uh, in the first game that they had against the Ravens that they're able to get that pressure on Lamar against this really bad offensive front. So I, I continue to have faith that we're gonna get like a good high scoring Ravens game because Lamar is just that talented. It's not something that I want to bet on because. With what we've seen defenses able to do, generate pressure and generate turnovers off of pressure over the last couple of weeks, there is an end somewhere, but it's conditional on Roman figuring out a solution, and I can't tell you what week that's going to be. So I'm looking forward to seeing it, and hopefully it comes before the end of the year so they're ready come playoff time. But right now, we have no idea of where he is and what he might improve. So this total sits at 42. Any thoughts over under there? It opened at, I want to say, 43. Yeah, 43 and a half. Yeah. So I took the under at 43 and a half. Uh, sloppy game, expect turnovers, expect mistakes from both quarterbacks. You can get really worrisome things in that, right? You can get defensive scores and all of a sudden the scores run up. It is low 40s. But I took the under there. I probably wouldn't take it any any lower than 41. Just like last week, I'm on a lot of unders. Uh, side total, I must stay away. Divisional game with two offenses right now that are kind of taking one a punch in the mouth here in the second half of the season. I think somebody plays better than we've seen them play. If I had to guess, honestly, it's probably Cleveland, but I'm not putting money on that guess. Uh, so to me, this is an under and then stay away from the side. Okay, quick thought on trend here. Um, I'll share that historically, teams that lost last weekend are short dogs of four or less points have only hit about 52.7%, which is barely making money, but it is making a little bit of money if you bet those things just situationally across the board in this trend. This year, however, they're hitting at 69%, 36 wins, only 16 losses. This week, we've got four of them. We talked about most of these games. San Francisco catching a point in Cincinnati qualifies. Baltimore catching two and a half in Cleveland. We just discussed that game qualifies. Buffalo catching three and a half in Tampa qualifies. And Atlanta catching two and a half at Carolina qualifies. Before we spend two minutes on the Thursday night game, Ben, let me mm -hmm. just ask you, for the listeners, are there any bets that you've already fired off that you really like, like strongest things that you are looking at this week that we haven't discussed already? Yeah, I have a couple of strong ones uh, for Thursday Night Football, which I'm excited about. Uh, I did take the Chargers line before it jumped over 10 uh, when they had the Giants and the potential Mike Glennon, Jake Fromm nonsense, because that game is going to be, to me, in my opinion, a hoot and a holler. I have the under on Bears-Packers. I have the under on Rams-Cardinals as well, which are both our primetime games. Those totals sit at 43.5 and 51.5 respectively right now. I would still take the under at 51.5 
uh, for Rams Cardinals, definitely before it gets below 51. And for those short dogs, it's funny, the one we didn't talk about, Atlanta plus two and a half against Carolina, I have, and I have the money line as well. Atlanta's playing better. I, I'm not saying they're good. They are playing better, objectively. And, and the loss against the Patriots looks more embarrassing box score-wise than it actually was. The loss against the Bucs was a much closer game uh, uh, on the field than it looks like in the box score. The fact that they're a dog against Carolina with the fact that Carolina is right now in complete dissolution, firing Joe Brady, still no McCaffrey, Newton's looked horrible. To me, that's very, very silly. Uh, so I love Atlanta, plus two and a half and money line against, against Panthers. Okay, very good. Let's talk Thursday night. I want you to give me your pick on this game and then explain why, if you do have a pick, if you got a pick on the side total. So right now, the Vikings are laying three to three and a half points at home, which is about where it opened. Uh, some spots were at four. And right now, the total sits at 43 to 43 and a half points, which is a point and a half below where it opened at 45. Side total, do you like anything here? And if so, why? Yeah, well, so I, I do like uh, Vikings minus three. I do think that they're a, a capable team of getting that job done. With that said, you should know by now, Warren, if we've got props out before the Thursday night game, that's where I'm <laughs> looking. Because uh, that's why I've been able to, to, to do good work this year. Uh, no Adam Thielen had KJ Osborne, their third receiver, opening up at uh, 34 and a half receiving yards. That number is too low. Uh, it, it, if they could live in 13 personnel, and only put Jefferson on the field, they would, but they can't because Irv Smith's also out. They don't have that tight end depth. Uh, so maybe you see an uptake in CJ Ham and a 21, 22 personnel, but Osborne's just going to be on the field a lot. And the two receivers that are on the field for the Vikings run a lot of routes and they run downfield. We need two catches to get to throw over 34 and a half, depending on where that target distribution comes. Uh, and against the Steelers, you can get that. These outside corners aren't great down the field. So KJ Osborne at 34 and a half is to me not, not an appropriate line. The other one that is, is a fun one, which you should always be very careful when you take touchdown score props because they're mostly for fun, but you can get Tyler Conklin at plus 240. Uh, once Thielen went down, Conklin became the red zone target against Detroit. He had the vast majority of red zone targets on a passing script in the second half against the Lions with Thielen gone. Uh, and he's he was two inches away from scoring a touchdown on plus 333, I think his line was against the Lions. Uh, down to 240 is good. It's not far enough. Uh, he, he's going to get more red zone lucks with Dalvin Cook potentially still out of this game, with Thielen out of this game, than any other Vikings player, and you're getting plus money on the touchdown line. So the Vikings passing game, to me, is still predictable without Thielen, and there's edges there. So I like both of those props for Thursday night. On the total, so you lean a little bit to the Vikings on the spread. On the total, mm -hmm. you do you have any opinion now that it's ticked down? Did you agree with that initial move? Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's any value towards the over or this game still should end, end with less than 43 points? Once again, took took the under. Uh, the the move for me always ends up being uh, trying to bet the Vikings live. I've joked about this before. The Vikings are going to generate a big lead. I'm going to fade them when they generate that big lead. They obviously didn't against the Lions. The other thing that you can do is you can take second quarter and fourth quarter live line looks because they're so bad in the two-minute drill. Uh, and so I don't like to bet the Vikings totals because this defense tends to be very hot and cold, and I've had so much success betting them live, right? So 43 and a half, I think it was it was around 45. I took yeah. the under when it opened, and, and I liked that line, and I feel good about that line. But the main thing I'm going to do, especially because it's a primetime game and it's the only game going on, is I'm going to be using, like, you know, you get live promos from books, you get odds boosts or whatever, or you just bet straight live. I'm going to look to fade the Vikings in the very clear spots they've been fadeable. So if they have a big lead, Fade them on the on the total point spread. If they're going to play defense on a two-minute drill, take touchdown score. Take field goal score on, on the drive results because that's very profitable so far this season. And those two-minute drill issues, those don't go away magically. That's not regression stuff. That's coaching stuff. To me, that sticks. 
Well, that'll do it for us for this Wednesday show with Ben Solak. Obviously, thanks, Ben, for joining me on the show. Great show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back on Friday with Joe House breaking down all the games for this weekend. Special thanks to Brian Waters and Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys on Friday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.